Hello, everyone. Uh, my name is Chris Chi. I'm the Family Life Pastor here in Hope. And I have the privilege of uh, starting a brand new series. Probably my, my first time ever doing that <laughs> at this church. Uh, and I, I, get the, I get the best title. I think this is the best title of all the series that we've done, uh, which is Jesus is Greater. Um, and, and so we're going to be studying for the next uh, two months uh, the book of Hebrews. Um, we're going to go ahead and have all these pastors come and interpret it. Um, you know, but I think that the question is, why Hebrews? Um, why did the pastoral staff uh, say, okay, after the real conversations, uh, let's talk about uh, the book of Hebrews, let's study it. What makes the book of Hebrews so great um, that we can, uh, that we should study it? And just by the title that we've um, made up that Jesus is greater, it should tell you right there that we should study it. But as you go through the book of Hebrews, um, you'll realize that it is a difficult book. Uh, it's either this book or the book of Romans. They're the, probably the two hardest books in the New Testament to interpret. Uh, they're difficult to understand. And one of the reasons why that the book of Hebrews is so difficult to understand is that the author of Hebrews brings the Old Testament into the New Testament, puts Jesus smack in the middle of it, and tries to interpret how Jesus and the Old Testament connect. So for a lot of us, or for, for those who are not too familiar with the Old Testament, it becomes super hard. Um, you know, if you just, just kind of glance over Old Testament, read, you know, Psalms or Proverbs or maybe Genesis a little bit, uh, but you have to kind of get into the heart of Deuteronomy, you have to get into the heart of Leviticus to really understand um, this book of Hebrews. So why choose um, a book that is heavily uh, doctrinal? Something that's really difficult, and sometimes, because when we think about the Old Testament, we don't think, well, it's not really practical uh, now. Um, but as, you, as we study uh, week by week, what we will see in the book of Hebrews is that it's not only doctrinally heavy, but it's heavily, heavily, uh, heavily practical. So it's, it's, it's so practical that you may think, wow, uh, this is a book that I've been wanting to study. This is a book that I need in my life at this moment. So you see the, the book of Hebrews, the author of Hebrews, uh, there is no uh, name attached to it. Uh, if you'll see, we'll read uh, verse 1. It doesn't address, it doesn't say, I am, you know, Paul or I'm Peter. It just goes on uh, and it starts uh, with, with a doctrinal phase of, of his book. So we don't really know who the, uh, the author of Hebrews is. But we do know that he is a pastor. And he is speaking to his congregation through a letter to encourage them and to warn them. Because what he's found out is that some of his congregant members are having difficulties with their faith. At this time, uh, there have been a lot of persecution uh, for, to them. They've, some of them have lost their homes. Uh, it's difficult for them to meet. So their faith was wavering a little bit. And he describes um, their condition with three words. Okay. And the first is found in chapter 2 of verse one. And he says this in chapter 2, verse 1. says, therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. So the readers of this letter, they were drifting from their faith. 
And then in uh, chapter 3, verse 7, he describes his readers as this. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness. So he says, not only are you drifting away from your faith, but your hearts are becoming hard. And then he uses another word in chapter 5, verse 11. He says, about this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. So he uses these three words, drifting, hardening, and dullness. This is the, the state of the people that he's writing to. The, the world was coming upon them. And they're thinking, where is God in all of this? These were Jewish Christians, meaning that they were first Jews. They were Israelites. They followed the Old Testament. But they saw the light in Jesus, and they took him as their Savior and Lord. And so these are uh, Christians who have come from the old faith into the new faith. And some of them, as they're going through trials, are saying, is this right? Did I make the right decision? Should I go back to Judaism? Because of all the suffering that I'm going through, I don't see God in the picture. So their hearts were being hardened. They were drifting away from their faith. And whatever people said about God, they were dull to hear. And when that happens, God becomes far away. When that happens, you become bitter, discontent with your life. And so you start drifting, drifting away from the faith. And these are the people that he was writing to. And as you think about this, uh, this book of Hebrews slowly becomes our book. Because maybe some of you in this room are in their state. Some of you are drifting away a little bit from your faith. Some of you have a hardened heart because of all the tough things that you've been through. And sometimes your ears are dull to the voice of God, to his words. Maybe some of you are like that in this room. Then this book is for you. Maybe some of you had that experience in the past where it was difficult. Now you're back, faith with God, trusting in him, but you never want to go back to that state. Maybe some of you are that, or some of you, maybe you're, you're good. You haven't had so many trials in your life that would make your faith drift. But I promise you this, that you will go through it in the future. You will go through some doubt in this Christian life. You will drift a little bit. Your heart will be hardened a little bit. And it's going to be difficult to hear God's word you will go through this because this Christian life is a journey. And in the world, there is sin. In the world, there is selfishness. In the world, they're going to come at you. And you're going to feel some persecution. You're going to feel some trials. And you're going to be tempted to drift away a little bit. 
And so this pastor, speaking to those people, says this to them. If you're in that state, the solution, the only solution, is to not to chase other things, not to look for other things, but to fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the solution, the only solution from drifting away from our faith, from our hearts becoming hardened. To get that dullness out of our, our, our ears so we can listen to God's word, it's to fix our eyes on Jesus. He'll go over that more practically in chapter 12. But this is a perspective of this pastor. So more and more as we study this book, yes, it's heavenly doctrine. It's, he it's hard to interpret. But this is your book. This is for you. And that pastor that wrote to these Hebrew Christians is writing the same words to you. So let's hear what he has to say so that we can fix our eyes on Jesus. And what he does in the first few chapters, I'm sorry, the first chapter and the first few verses, he sets it up and says, okay, fix your eyes on Jesus, and this is who Jesus is. This Jesus that I'm telling you to fix your eyes on, he is better. He is greater. Think of something. Think of something that you think is great. Think of something that you think is better. Jesus is better than that. Fix your eyes on Jesus, who is greater than anything that you could ever experience in this life. So I get the privilege of starting that off in the first few verses of chapter 1. The other pastors will add on to it, because that's what the book of Hebrews does. Jesus is greater than the angels. He's greater than Moses. He is greater than Aaron. He is greater than Joshua. His covenant is better. He is a greater sacrifice. And on and on and on. So that every week as you sit in this room, I, I, I pray that you're sensing in your, in your mind and your heart and you start repeating, yeah, Jesus is better. He is greater than anything that I can think of. So let's start, uh, and before we read uh, verse 1, let's bow our heads and pray. Lord, I pray as we sit in this room, as we start the study on the book of Hebrews, may you change our hearts and our minds to think that you are greater. You are better. There are many alternatives in this world but Lord, you are better. You are greater. And help us to fix our eyes on you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, verse 1 uh, of Hebrews. Uh, well, actually, let's read uh, the passage. I'm not going to go through all 14 verses. Um, so I'm going to only focus on verses 1 through 4 in chapter 1. Okay? So Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Um, he doesn't have an introduction like Paul. He doesn't say like, oh, this is Paul, you know, and this is who I'm writing to. He doesn't do any of that. He gets the point because um, the pastor is irrelevant, for, at least for himself. He says, I'm not important. The important person right now that I'm talking about is Jesus. So he starts, long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become as much superior to angels as the name he has inherited is more excellent than theirs. And what a great opening uh, of any book. Um, this is probably, the, the, in, in, the, in terms of the letters in the New Testament, the greatest opening where he just kind of throws Jesus at you. He says, look how great Jesus is. And, and I'll break it up into three different parts. Uh, if you, anyone is familiar with the Westminster Catechisms, uh, the Westminster Catechism describes Jesus in, with three offices, okay, the prophet, priest, and king. Um, and to, to understand, kind of understand how he fulfills these prophets, you have to kind of go, uh, these offices, you have to go into the Old Testament and kind of think about what these three offices uh, imply. So the prophet in the Old Testament were mouthpieces for God so that when they spoke, they were, it, it was like God speaking. So whatever they said, they had to accept it as truth. Sometimes they would give them a warning. Sometimes they would say, this is your punishment for your sins. Sometimes it's just foretelling the future. But in any case, whatever he said, the people had to say, that is the voice of God speaking to me right now. And only a very few could be called prophets. If you claim to be a prophet in the Old Testament and you weren't really a prophet, they would test you to see if you said anything would come true. And if it didn't, they would stone you to death for falsely claiming that you're a prophet of God. So the Old Testament, when, they looked, when the Old Testament people looked at the prophet, they, they revered him as this, this specially chosen person who speaks God's word. And that's how the New Testament, remember, these were Jewish Christians who knew all about the Old Testament. That's how they revered uh, the prophets. Next is the priest. So the priests were the, the mediators between the sinful men and the holy God. And without them, there could be no reconciliation. They were the middle person. So these people, these sinners would come and bring uh, sacrifices, and the priests were the ones that would perform the ceremony, you know, burn it up or cut it up, so that the, the, the smoke would rise and it would be pleasing unto God. And they were the only ones. You couldn't say, you know what, I went to priest school. <laughs> you know, I, I did this, I want to be a priest. It didn't work that way. There were specially chosen families that were allowed to be priests, no matter what. It's not like these days where, you know, we can go to school, become a pastor. It wasn't like that. It was very specifically certain people. And so if they were the ones that were picked to be the mediator, then you would also think that their office would be high on, in terms of who they are as in the midst of the people. And then the last were the king. And the king was the representation of God on earth. They ruled in place of God. It's almost like God has appointed them, hey, even though I am the ruler of all of you know, the kingdoms, I'm going to set you, this person here, so that you can rule my people my way. The king's responsibility was to always, <coughs> before all things, make sure that they followed God's law. It wasn't just to go ahead and tell people, hey, you do this. No, they were, 
they were there as a media, almost a mediator in between, between God in terms of ruling. And so once again, the kings were revered. It wasn't like anyone could just be kings. No matter how smart you were, how strong you are, you, you, you can't be a king unless God chooses you to be king. So these three offices in the Old Testament were the highest that you can possibly think of. Who were the greatest men in the Old Testament? It was either a priest, prophet, or king. And they would fit in that category. And so these people understood that when they read it. They understood that these people were, these officers was revered. And what the, the pastor here does, he says, those guys were great. If you needed anything, you can rely on them. They can be an example in your faith. They can, you can follow them, and they will help you out. They will get you closer to God, these people in the New Testament. And he knew that, that that's what they were thinking. And then he comes in and throws the bomb in, in that thought and blows it all up. He says, you think that prophet was great? Jesus is greater. You, you think that priest who's a mediator that can perform all the, the, the ceremonies, you wanted to be them or you looked up to them? No, Jesus is a greater priest than any of them. Those kings that you wish you were, they can rule. No, Jesus is a greater king than they are. And that's how he sets it up in these verses. So let's go over those three offices, get a little glimpse of how great God is, and I'll just hand it off to the next pastor, and he'll tell you more about how great Jesus is. But for now, let's look at those three um, offices. So the prophet says in verse 1, Long ago, as at many times and many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. So he sets it up. He says, Many times in the Old Testament, you have heard uh, through these prophets that God spoke through them. They were the mouthpiece of God. But then in these last days, so the, the, when it says last days, he's talking about the, the, the present in terms for them. Uh, he has spoken to us by his son. There's a comparison. It says long ago, he spoke through many people. And even though God's uh, words through the prophets were clear, they were, they, were, uh, uh, they were written so that people could understand it, that this was a revelation of God, but it was, it was piecemeal. It was here and there. There were many ways, many different men. They spoke God's word, and it was a, it was a truth. But it was here, here, there, this way. But with Jesus, now, in these last days, he speaks through his son, Meaning all those things, what, what it's pointing to, and you'll see it more clearly as we go through the book of Hebrews, all these revelations that God had through the prophets, there were small pieces, fragments. And what Jesus does as he speaks for God, he completes it. It makes all the things that said make sense. He, he makes the puzzle work, and you can see the fuller picture, the fuller revelation of God speaking. And he says, in the last days, this is what's happening with his son. 
What does that mean, the last days? Because if that was the last days at there, that time, and we're still in the last days, that's a long last day, right? It's really long, but that's not exactly what he meant. Because he's not talking about spatial or time last days. He's talking about the quality of the day. So when, when he says this is the last day, he's, he's pointing to that this is the last and full revelation of God. God does not need to communicate more than what he communicated through his son. He doesn't need to add to the gospel message. He doesn't say, well, there's, uh, you know, we need to have an update on the message. Like a 2.0 gospel. We don't need any of that. When God spoke through his son, it was the last day because that was the last revelation of God. He doesn't need to say anything more then, boom, here is my son. Look at who he is. Look at what he has done. This is my final revelation. This is my final plan. I don't need to show more than what he showed through Jesus. You see, God is a speaking God. He does things, yes, but he's also a speaking God. Francis Schaeffer has a saying. He's an old uh, apologist and theologian. He says, he is there, and he is not silent. He is communicating to us. In the Old Testament, long ago, he communicated in fragments. But now he wants to communicate his final word through Jesus. And he also says this. He says, but in these last days, he has spoken to us. So when they were hearing these words, these Hebrew Christians, it became very, very personal for them because God is speaking his final words through his son and he's speaking it to them. And that's what he is doing for us. These words are not meant only for those Hebrew Christians but these words are meant for us. These words are meant for you. That Jesus is greater. He is the final word. You know, the, uh, Tim Keller uh, mentions this. He says that intimacy requires finality. Yeah. And so what, what, what do I mean by that? See, Jesus or God speaks through his son and says, I want to communicate this to you, meaning that I want to have a relationship with you. A lot of the things that we read is for, so that we can have a relationship with Jesus. Fixing our eyes on Jesus is not just to look at Jesus and say, oh, just fix my... No, it's for us to have a relationship with him. So God communicates but he communicates in finality form so that he can have an intimate relationship with us. Okay, what do I mean by that? Okay. So if you, know, if you have any type of relationship in your life, okay, if you ever want to be intimate with that person, if you want to have a, a, just a bond of friendship or, or, or marriage or with your, with your kids, there has to be some kind of finality to it. Meaning that if you have a friend or something and you go, man, I, I wish I just had a different, another friend, or I wish my friend would be a little better than he is now or she is now, 
There's no intimacy, right? What if you're married and you're always thinking, man, my wife or my husband, I'm not sure about this, okay? Maybe there's somebody better. Or you're saying, ah, you know, he's, he's okay now, but I got to make him better. I got to make him to someone else that I can respect or whatever that may be. At the present, there's no intimacy there then. Because you're always wanting something more. But when you start accepting people for who they are and then what they could be, there's intimacy. When you can accept their faults and says, I don't care if you're this or that, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to cherish you no matter what. That creates intimacy. You need finality to have intimacy in any type of relationship. And what Jesus is saying, what God is saying is, it's final. Jesus is the final word of God. He has said and done all that he can. Accept him for who he is. And he will accept you in our broken state so that there can be intimacy in our relationship with God. And that's what God wants for each and every one of us. For those who are drifting, for those who are hardened, for those who are dull to hear, that's what he wants from you. He wants an intimate relationship with you. And he said, this is what I have done for you. I'm not gonna, I don't need to do anything more. This is what I've done for you. Think about this, reflect on this. Because I want an intimate relationship with you. But when you think about just him, him being the final word, you also have to think about, about what he did and the finality of the cross. And this takes us to the next step, which is that Jesus is a greater sacrifice, a greater priest than anything that you have heard in the Old Testament. There's a finality about the cross here because there's nothing more that God the Father can give you than his son. There is nothing more that Jesus can give you than his life. He has given it all. He's saying, this is my final way of showing you how much I love you. I have become not only the great price, but I have become the sacrifice, the one and only sacrifice. That is for you. Once again, why? To create an intimate relationship with you. Now, this particular part, section of Jesus becoming the high priest and, and the sacrifice, Hebrews will talk about it more and more. So I'm going to leave that to the, to the other pastors to bless you with. But for us, as we read this, in verse 3, he says that after making purification for sins, that's what he did. Him being the great sacrifice. And that's this final word, because, think about this. If Jesus is the greatest gift that he can give us, from God's perspective, and if Jesus says, the greatest gift that I can give you is my life for your sins, then there can't be another way. You know what I mean? That's, you know, if somebody gives you the best gift, the greatest gift that they can, they can't give you anymore. They can't give you anything better. 
And that's what the author of Hebrews is saying. He has given you as much as he can as a great priest. The next one, the off, next one office is the king. Jesus is a greater king. Okay. Now, think about what the verses say. He says in verse 3, I'm sorry, in verse, starting in verse 2, the description of Jesus is, okay, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is a radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. After making purification for sin, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. These might be the greatest words and descriptions, description of Jesus in the New Testament letters. He just, he just gives you two, one after another, heir of all things, upholds all the universe. He sits down at the majesty on high. And he's giving you these great facts or great truths about who Jesus is to make him look great. You know, I, um, I, I, for, for those who know, I mentioned it a few times, but I also teach uh, middle school uh, math to middle school kids. Uh, and so it's always a challenge for them. Um, they're, they're, you know, they, I love them, but they have a lot of complaints. You know, there's always, they're always wanting something else. And so one of the things, they teach math, and, and one of the things um, they always ask me, at the, especially at the beginning of the year, is, why am I doing this? Okay, how is it going to help my life? You know, what, how else am I going to use it? When, whenever am I going to solve for X, right? You know, why, why am I doing this, right? And I can say, well, you know, math is, you can apply it to life. When you get married, you can, you know, but I say it, but I say it not with a full, like, yeah, this is the real truth. Because <laughs> I can't. I can't do it with a, with a straight face, okay? Um, and sometimes I say, well, you know, because you have, you have to get into a college. So you have to do well, you know, um, and, and I say these things, and they're still like not, not really convinced. Um, and so what I do, and I'll tell the catapult kids up there too, why math is so important. Okay. Uh, and and I, I tell them this. I tell them that if you understand math more, if you really get at math, um, you will see the world from a different perspective. You will see the beauty of this universe. That, that might be a little too much, <laughs> but that's what I tell them, okay? Because I actually truly believe that. Um, you know, what, what turned me into liking math uh, is, is that. Is that the, these concepts, like, you know, the concept of, like, infinity, you know, is that smaller than infinity plus one? These things that I, I, thought, I think about, and I say, wow, this is, this is like, things that, that, are, that blow my mind. But I can grab these things that, are, that I cannot grasp, and I can use it in a math problem and be able to, to add infinite amount of things that are infinitely small and get an answer. And, okay, I'm going to stop there. But, but that's, I mean, I, I, when I think about that, then I think about things like how far the sun is. You know, we say it's far, right? But you can use numbers to see how far it is. And then you see the, and then see, and the math helps you to understand the vastness of the universe. And you look at little things like buildings and, and things like that, and you see how math is involved. And if you understand the math better, you appreciate the work that's been put into it. So I don't know if that convinces them. That's kind of how I ended with. But I can say that same thing with, 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 with what we're reading here. You know, when you see Jesus and you hit one fact, you learn more things. You didn't know that he was the heir of all things? Yeah, he is. 
You didn't know that he upholds the universe? Yeah, he does. You, you, you didn't know that he sat at the majesty on high? He does. And you hear more grander things about Jesus, and you start appreciating who he is. Your perspective on life changes. That he can uphold the universe, these vast stars all over the place, but he can hold it all together with just this thought. He says, let there be light, and there is light. You think about these things, and your perspective changes. He ceases to become your personal assistant, the one that helps you with your agenda in life, the one that just makes you happy. He ceases to become that person, and he becomes the glorious God on high, whom we need to obey whom we need to adjust our life to him. The beauty of the universe, the beauty of who he is becomes brighter in our eyes. And the people that you, that every time that you come in here and worship him, you worship him a little better. You're not ashamed to sing out loud because of who he is. He is a king. He is a great king. Above all else, this is a God that you worship. And this is what he presents, this pastor. He presents this Jesus to you in your drifting, in your hardening, in your dullness. Fix your eyes on this Jesus. Life is hard. Life is tough. There's going to be trials that come in your life. Yet, when those things come, fix your eyes on this Jesus. And he will change your weariness to rest. He will change your isolation to community. The pastor understood this. But I think we need to take one more step um, in who Jesus is. Because how does this play out on the cross? I think the cross is just um, the thing that just helps us to understand everything about Jesus and puts everything into perspective. So how do these three offices play on that cross? Let's see what happens on that cross. See, on that cross, the final word that God speaks through, God is silent towards him. On that cross, Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God did not answer. God's final revelation, who is Jesus? He stands silent towards him on that cross. But what about the priesthood? He doesn't become, he's not the priest on the cross. He is a sacrifice. He is the one and only true sacrifice. On that cross, he is no king, but he is a servant. You know, we, we complain sometimes in our life because life is hard. We complain that God is messing up our life sometimes. We feel guilty doing things. We, 
we, we have to adjust to him. We need to obey him. But I'm telling you this, the greatest adjustment that has ever been made in all of history is what Jesus did on that cross. The cross yells out, I have given up my glory. I have emptied myself. I have become man and have died all for you. I have adjusted myself to you so that you can receive me for who I am. All for us. Any type of adjustment that we make is nothing compared to the adjustment that he has made on the cross for you. Fix your eyes on that Jesus. You know, I have, I have one more uh, little thing, but I'm going to ask the band to come up at this moment. You know, uh, some of you know, I, uh, we, a couple of weeks ago, I, I dropped off my son, my older son, uh, in college. Um, and it's very tough for some of you who's going through it this year. Uh, you, you know how it is. It's, it's tough. Uh, some of you uh, who have gone through it, uh, maybe you still haven't adjusted. Um, you know, some of you will go through it this year, and you're going to have a tough time. I know my wife and I have difficult, uh, even for now. Um, there's a lot of missing. There's a lot of sadness. Uh, but, you know, before we dropped him off uh, a couple of weeks ago at his dorm, um, we, we were trying to prep ourselves, you know, get ready, <laughs> you know. Uh, not only him getting ready for college, but us, <laughs> getting your hearts ready. And uh, different people have different ways to cope, uh, and this isn't what you should do, or you, know, you just deal with however you deal with it. But for, for my wife and I, uh, actually she had a different uh, way, and I have a different one. She, she was obsessed with um, getting, his, getting the perfect dorm room for him. You know, she, she, I, I think that's how she coped with it. She, every single day I would hear a ding on my phone, Amazon, <laughs> okay, by, you know, you go to Target, by, it's like almost every single day. And, uh, you know, and I, I, I didn't complain, okay, because that's how she was coping, uh, and uh, there was sadness in, in her heart. Um, and, and so, but I had to draw a line at some point, okay, and that line was socks, okay. So she actually went and bought like 30 or 40 pairs of socks for him, okay, and I was like, okay, all right, hold on. <laughs> that's a little too much. Let's, let's stop the socks. Let's let, him, let him choose which socks he wants, and, and then we'll have the rest at home, okay. Uh, but... That's how she coped, and uh, for, for me, um, the way I coped is I didn't buy, I didn't make him a perfect dorm room, I didn't. Uh, the way I would cope is I, I would just talk with him. Uh, just talk to him about his future, talk to him about you know, how the experiences that he's going to experience, to stay away from this, and make sure you study hard, and all that. that's how I talked. Um, that, that's how I coped with it. Um, and at the very end, uh, I did write him a letter. Um, I did write him a letter. Uh, you know, I, I wrote it to him, put it in his bag, and then uh, hopefully he found it and read it. <laughs> I think he had, but, uh, but I put it in his uh, backpack and then sent him off um, to college. And uh, he didn't know until, until I, I'm sure he opened it. Um, but, and that's how I coped, because uh, I just needed to think about the whole thing. And so I started writing it, um, and I, I typed it up, and I started typing it up, and, and I, you know, and I realized as, as I was typing, I was kind of going through this, a story of him uh, and with us. 
And it just, and I didn't have an agenda. You know, I, I knew that I wanted to encourage him. I knew that I wanted to kind of give him some advice. But all, what it turned out to be was just, uh, just, hey, I remember when you were born. Um, I remember when you first, you know, took your first step. Uh, and then this is what happened at that time. I, I remember your first day at school. This is what happened at that time. I stayed in the corner and tried to watch you guys, but not, not too close to you know them. There, all this stuff. Uh, first time you went to the bathroom. I don't tell them that. But <laughs> it's, even all those things, I would just start writing. And then I was like, okay, this is going to get way too long. <laughs> it's going to be like 20, 30 pages if I continue this. Uh, so I had to kind of cut it. And I, I, you know, I two or three pages uh, and typing it up. And I, I just, as I, I was just writing through this, um, I realized that what I was doing was I was explaining his journey in this life. The journey that he took so far, him being 18, from when he was born to all the highs, you know, all the achievement that he's made, all the joys that he's given us, or all the joys that we had as a family, all the experiences, you know, and I, you know, I would tell him all this stuff. But there was also a lot of downs um, that I, I, I wanted to put in there, too, or just kind of came out, you know, downs of, of him being disappointed at times. But, other, you know, things where, you know, he, um, and some, most of you don't know, but when he was uh, age four, uh, he, he had an emergency like, surgery um, in the hospital. He was in the hospital for like a week and a half. Uh, so I kind of mentioned that he doesn't, he's not really that, he doesn't understand that too much. Uh, and that was like the worst part of, of our journey until 16 years late, 16, or, yeah, I think 16, 14, 12, 12 years later, um, he got his uh, cancer diagnosis uh, and he had to deal with that. So all the downs that we, we talked about, and I realized it was just up and down, um, up and down, a lot of up and downs that what I was writing. And I tried to encourage him and tell him that, hey, God is with you. God is going to, you know, always going to be there for you and all that stuff. So I wrote this letter and I, and I and I gave it to him. And, uh, and then this week, um, this week, as I was preparing this message, I go, darn, I forgot one thing. <laughs> I forgot one thing, uh, which is this. I forgot. And I told him that God's going to be there, um, just, you know, try your, all that stuff. But I forgot to tell him, hey, fix your eyes on Jesus. Because you're going to have your ups and downs. Fix your eyes on Jesus. So I had to. I had no choice. Um, like, I, I don't know what day it was. At night, I just texted him. It's just simply, fix your eyes on Jesus. And I told him, you don't have to respond. Just fix your eyes on Jesus. <laughs> and I just kind of left it there. Uh, and, and I hope that it, it, it rings um, and it touches him uh, in a way. Um, and I want the same thing for you. Wherever state that you're in, fix your eyes on Jesus. This pastor is telling you that. God, to Jesus, is telling you that. And, and me, I'm telling you the same thing. Wherever you are, whether you're young up there, whether you're down here, fix your eyes on Jesus, this life journey. And see him for who he is and what he's done for you. And, you know, we have a chance to do that right now as we take communion. If I can ask the elders to come up. We have a chance to fix our eyes on Jesus. We have a chance to see what he's done for us on that cross. We can see the blood of Jesus Christ and the body that's broken. 
this, this thing that he instituted. He said, do this in remembrance of me. So just like on the first night when he shared with his disciples, we're going to be doing the same. The elders are going to come, go right now and, and pass out the, the elements. Hold on to it until we, so we can do it all together with one body of Christ. On the night that he uh, met with his disciples in that upper room, you know, he took wine, he poured it, broke bread, said, this is my blood, this is my body shed for you. So let's do that together with them in unison. Let's take the, the bread first. Let's take the... Uh, Let's pray. Lord, once again, we were reminded 
fix our eyes on you, the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross for us. Lord, this is a God that wants to have a relationship with us, an intimate relationship, Lord. May we see you for who you are. May we see you for what you have done. so that we can know that our drifting is not going to be endless, that our hearts, that our heart maybe right now will be softened and we will be able to hear clearly your voice, your care, and your love for us as we fix our eyes on you. Thank you, Lord, for in the name of Jesus. Amen.